0: Thank you. how you doing this morning? Feeling good? Easter's coming up here pretty soon, so invite those friends to come. The reason why most people haven't come is because no one's ever asked. We found that out not too long ago, so just ask and see what happens. You might be surprised. You know, um, back when Laura and I were missionaries in Mexico City, Second Baptist Houston asked us to come down, and, and I was preaching there in their Woodway campus, and I remember talking about missions and telling the stories of what was going on in Mexico City. And at the end of the service, there was this huge line of people that wanted to ask more. I remember one young man coming up and he said, man, I would love to be a missionary, but I struggle with depression. And I looked him right in the eyes and I think I said something that he didn't expect. I said, Dude, you are in luck. You can get Prozac over the counter in Mexico. You don't even need. (laughs) He's like, what? (laughs) Believe me, I know. And uh, here's the thing. What if the things that you struggle with, there's a reason for it. What if the life situation, are you disgruntled with God right now about your life? Or maybe something that's going on in your kids' lives? What if God's trying to do something? What if he's trying to accomplish something? Maybe there's some ways that we need to train our kids in in what life is really like. See, we get mixed up about what life is about. And Jesus, this radical Jesus that we're studying, he turns everything upside down. He turns things on its head, even how to live life. So let's look at this passage This morning, this is the last, heading into the last week of Jesus' life. And um, it's such an interesting, interesting passage. Lots of verses, look there in your worship guide, but I think you'll find it life changing. In Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles or you can turn, put it on your phone or whatever, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. This passage is saying, this was a strange time. Jesus out front, walking resolutely toward Jerusalem, nobody with him, a little bit further behind, maybe 15, 20 yards, the 12 disciples, and it says they're astonished. And then a little further back, the crowd, and it says they're afraid. So there's this crowd that's kind of milling, you know, walking with him too. And Why are they astonished and afraid? It's because of the attitude of Jesus. See, Jesus is walking another one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John says, um, Jesus had set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. I mean, he had this look on his face. He was going, because he knew what he was going into. We see that as we see this next part. Again, he took the 12 aside And told them what was going to happen. So he had been walking and then he pulls the 12 aside and he says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now this is the third time we've seen Jesus make this special announcement to his disciples in which he informs him that he is going to die. This time he adds uh, a lot more detail. Now they never seem to quite hear this but notice the detail in which Jesus describes what's coming. He knows what's coming. He's gonna be handed over to the priests who are gonna hand him over to the Romans who are gonna mock him, scourge him, spit on him and crucify him. Well he's the son of God. Of course he's gonna know what 's coming no, I, I think that when he came to be one of us, he limited himself to be one of us in so many different ways. yes, he still worked miracles and he did some things, but he didn't he wasn 't all knowing in that moment, but you see in the Old Testament, there are prophecies in psalm twenty two in isaiah fifty three it says all of these things are going to happen in another one of the the four gospels he says um, that we've got to go, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So he had memorized the scripture and I think you would if you knew that this was about your life, you would memorize the scripture, right? But isn't it about our lives? And he would know what's coming. Let me ask you a a question so here here's the disciples jesus tells them bluntly what's getting ready to happen but they don't really hear it they're kind of on a different pathway and i guess the question for today if what if jesus and what he has called you to and what you think he has called you to are not the same thing don't you think that could cause some serious misunderstanding between you and god I mean, what, what if he's called you to something, but it's not what you think? Let's see about James and John here. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher. They said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, I find this really interesting that Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem and they're going to mock me, scourge me, spit on me, kill me. And then the two of his top disciples come up and say, when you get to your glory here in a little bit, see, they didn't hear it at all. They think they're going to rule. They think they're going to overthrow Rome. They think that this God man has come to take over and rule the planet the way that we would think of ruling the planet. With an iron fist. And basically, they're saying, Lord, I'm your servant. And, you know, I've been really faithful to you, especially, you know, James and, and, and I have been so faithful to you. A lot more faithful than these other guys, these other 10, you know, especially that Judas guy. I don't know about him. And I, I just, you know, really, I, I think you should answer, you know, you kind of got to keep your end of the bargain. Answer this prayer for me. You ever feel that way with God? My children, when they were little, <laughs> really little, they would say, Daddy, if I ask you something, will you say yes? <laughs> and I knew the answer was probably no, right? It's pretty clear. But we get this kind of this genie syndrome, and, and we can do it with God, too. You know, God, we're, we're faithful, we're serving, we need you to do Whatever we ask. I read about a guy who was walking down a beach and he just picked up an old bottle and he popped the cork out and a genie popped out. And and the genie said, thank you for freeing me from all of my, you know, being in that bottle for thousands of years, I'll give you three wishes. And the guy goes, I know exactly what I want. I've been thinking about a day like this. I was hoping something like this would come. He said, I'd like a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account. And poof, there was this bright light just like a, a, a bright shining light and and he had receipt in his hand for a billion dollars and a Swiss bank account number. And then he said, I'd like a red Ferrari right here beside me right now and flash of light, boom, red Ferrari right there beside him. Because this is awesome. He said, I would like to be irresistible to women. Boom, flash of light, and he becomes a box of chocolates. <laughs> you see? Like <laughs> that's stupid, but like this guy, we have no idea sometimes what we're we're asking for, and so we want to be special. We want to be insiders. We want to be the right hand. We want to be the left hand. You know, we want to be great. What's interesting is Jesus didn't rebuke these guys. I, I mean, he doesn't say, "What's the matter with you guys?" I mean, how cocky and proud can you be? This is that's just ridiculous. Did you not hear what I just said? Open your ears. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he didn't even say that this ambition to be near him, to have preeminence, to have power is wrong. See, James and John got one thing right and they got almost everything else wrong in this, okay? But they're right in verse 37 when they say, Jesus is destined for glory. Now, not in their time frame, right? But they said, when you sit in your glory, that's a good thing to be right about, some of us in this room have, are not yet right about that. What do I mean? Well, if you know that a company's stock is going to go through the roof and all the other companies' stock is gonna drop down to zero, you invest in that company, don't you? If a hurricane was coming and you knew without a doubt that this building would stand, but all of the rest of Northwest Houston would be flattened, you would get into this building, wouldn't you? If you know that Jesus is going to rule and reign and every knee's gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, then you go with Jesus, right? You, you get in with him. And this material passing world that's gonna flame out, the Bible says, kind of becomes a lot less important. They had that right, but listen to what Jesus said. Verse 38, you don't know what you're asking Jesus said can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with we can they answered pretty sure Jesus said to them you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared he's saying saying the trouble with you guys is not that you're asking for the wrong thing. I like what you're asking for. But you're asking for it with no understanding of what is involved. You're ignorant. You don't know what you're asking. And then he tells them what they're ignorant of. You're ignorant of the cost, the price of greatness. You're ignorant of what it's gonna take. He implies that he himself is on the same road, but he's not ignorant of the price. He's ready to pay the price. And he says, are you ready to drink the cup, to experience the baptism? He uses two powerful symbols, the cup. Many of us have heard Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. What is a cup? Cup is what life hands you that you have no choice about. It, 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 it might be, good in our estimation it might not be so good but it's what life doles out to you as you travel through this broken world that's your cup what about the baptism well in the New Testament the word baptism bautizo in Greek it means to immerse underwater it's interesting because we got a lot of we've got the word baptism in a funny way because it's really not the word i mean they made up a new word in 1611 they're translating the bible for king james and king james is a cantankerous old guy and um they're sprinkling people to baptize them and then they read this and it says they were baptized but the word is bautizado, and it's like they were they were ducked underwater and they're going like um that's not going to be good to keep our heads on if we say that you know so let's make up a new word. So they just took Baltisado and they just transliterated into English and said baptized. And then when King James said, What did that mean? They said, Well, sprinkle. It's good. Okay. So that's where we get the word baptized. But that's why we immerse here at Community of Faith. We, when you get baptized, I take you underwater. You know, so a lot of you have done that. Um, it's just what the Bible says, nothing magical about it. When I went to, be a missionary, the first year we spent in um, Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, we were immersed into Spanish. We had Spanish school. What was so, I didn't know any Spanish. And Laura had three years in high school, and I thought that, you know, she said, I can't remember any of it. She remembered all of it as soon as we got there. It made me so mad. I remember her talking to this guy one time, and I mean, all the guys, you know, we're supposed to go around to look different little Storefronts and stuff, and try to talk. And she could talk a lot, and all of the cute guys wanted to talk to her, you know. And I remembered I'd learned something like, Estoy de pie, which means I am standing. And that's all I could say. And this cute guy's obviously flirting with her. And I walked up and I said, Estoy de pie. And he looked at me and goes, See? (laughs) And you're weird too, you know, is what he's thinking. I am standing. I had a lot of good phrases. But when I got there to the language school, it was crazy because they spoke only Spanish. I mean, to instruct me how to learn Spanish, they spoke to me in Spanish. I was so mad. I was like, I don't know what you're saying. But you know what was crazy? After a few weeks, a month, six weeks I, I, I could understand them kind of and, and then by the time that year was up I had a headache the whole year but I was dreaming in Spanish I had been immersed I had changed I was a different person I was a Spanish speaker with a Texas accent but you know can't get rid of that but but here it, it, it's that's what it means to be immersed and what Jesus is saying I'm going to be Totally, the cross is coming for me and it's gonna, it's gonna take me under. I'm gonna be totally immersed in this. The circumstances of my life. Can you drink that cup? Oh yeah, buddy. We got it. No problem. See, you don't know what you're asking for. And then he says, you will drink this cup. I, I grant you that. I'll give you that. Um, And they did. Ends up that James was the very first apostle martyred. He was killed. His head was taken off by evil King Herod. And um, yeah, he was killed. First disciple killed. And every single one of the disciples was martyred right down the line. One after the other, after the other, after the other, except for John. John was an old, old man. He had been exiled by himself on the island of Patmos. He had gone through all kinds of trouble and tribulation. Some of the early church fathers say that John was the last disciple killed before he could die. Some say he died a natural death, but the early church fathers say they took him and they boiled him in oil. Yeah, you'll experience the baptism. You'll experience the cup. But he went on to say, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared. Did you know there's a place prepared? Did you know that heaven is a place prepared? From ages past, God has prepared a place for us in God's kingdom. Listen to Revelation chapter three, 19 through 21. This is when John was on the island of Patmos and Jesus appeared to him in a vision, and he says this, those I love, I correct and discipline. Therefore, be shamelessly committed to me and turn back from the material world and its way. Now, pay attention. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any one of you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to visit with you and to share a meal at your table, and you will be with me. He's talking about fellowship. And then the next verse, let me just read it to you out of the Young's literal translation. What Young did many, many years ago, he took the Greek and he just took it word for word. So it doesn't always make perfect sense in English, but it's all the Greek words exactly like they're there. It says this, Revelation 321, the one who is overcoming, I will give to sit with me in my throne as I also did overcome and did sit down with my father in his throne something amazing going on here he's talking about something that we don't even think about it's almost like he's flipped the script and and said hey you know this life you're living this is boot camp getting ready for something I'm I'm preparing you for something I'm getting you ready for something I'm getting you ready to sit in my throne with me but you see you need to overcome if you wanna sit in my throne with me. And it's weird that it's in my throne, you know? I mean, I almost see Jesus. He said, I sat in my father's throne. You can almost see him when he gets back to heaven. He goes up and God's sitting on the throne and then he just sits down and they're just morph into the Godhead, right? And it's almost like, and you're not gonna be God, but it's gonna be something like you've never experienced when you sit in my throne with me. How do you overcome 1 John 5, 4, out of the Amplified Bible that takes the Greek and amplifies it so we understand it. For everyone born of God is victorious. First you be born of God and overcomes the world and this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. What does that mean? Well, he's already prepared a place for us from ages past Now, he's preparing us for that place by the circumstances, by the cups and the baptisms that he allows us to experience. In the middle of your baptism by fire, maybe right now, are you disgruntled with God? See, I want to encourage you don't waste your sorrows, don't waste them. When your kids are struggling, do you get mad at God and say, God, how could you let my kids struggle? When you're fighting depression and why do I get depression? And see we have this tendency in America today to look over at someone whose life is easy and said, "Man, they got God's favor." That's not God's favor. He must not have a very big job for them in heaven. But for you, looking at your life, you must be one of the Army Rangers or the Green Berets or something. Because your life sucks. (laughs) You say, what? What? That's what, Jesus is flipping the script. He's going, hey, I got a plan. I know what I'm doing. I'm the God of the universe. Are you gonna have persistent faith in my goodness, in my heart? Do you believe I'm good right now? Well, it doesn't look like it. I understand that. Doesn't feel like it. I get it. Do you believe I know what I'm doing? Do you believe that even though this world is broken and I didn't cause the bad things, that I can cause all things to work together for good? And it's not a trite little thing that you say like, oh, everything worked together for good. It's working. I'm doing something. I'm preparing you. You. For the place that I've prepared for you. And you've got to get a lot bigger to fill it. You, you've got to stand a lot stronger to be able to fill that place. You're not ready yet. You've got some cups and baptisms to go through. You're going like, well, I don't think I like this Christianity near as much. I like the favor and the easy, you know. the the the, the, the I like the American religion. Let's go back to American religion. That's our problem. That's why we're so disgruntled with God. He never said that. Those who come to me, he said, I'll give you soul rest. But he didn't say, come to me and life will be rosy. And everything is gonna be awesome after that. But that's what we kind of teach. Come to Jesus and everything will fall into place and your marriage will be, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul added on, if you get married, you'll have more trouble. Did you not read that before you got married? Why, man, that girl is helping you be a Green Beret. For sure, I can't even believe you married her, but don't waste your sorrows, keep believing. You still don't understand, little one, but he's faithful, he's good, he loves you. At this point, the Bible turns to the other 10. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Why are the other 10 indignant? Because they would have, why didn't I think of that first? Right? Oh, man. But again, he didn't rebuke. Their desire was simply that they might be great someday. Lord, I want to be with you in your glory. And I want significance that outshines all other significance that I've ever even hoped for or dreamed about. That's that's what I want. I want to be the person that you've intended for me to be is that a bad request too many of us never ask to be great Jesus never turns aside those who ask to be made great but he never minimizes the cost are you ready to pay the price Jesus fully intends to make you great to make us great the means of achieving greatness that's not, not what we thought we signed up for. That's why we're so disgruntled right now. See, teach your kids this. Yeah, that, you know, teach them that. Why do I have this? Why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have this learning disability? Why do, why do I have this, th- this depression? Why do I have that? God has called you to something great. He's called you to something more and realize it Jesus called them together and said you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you four little words that again flip everything hey I know how the world works you're great because you have servants and you have people and you're the Lord you know and you're lording it over everybody not so with With you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a mind blowing passage right here. The only way to greatness is by his cross, and Jesus says to his disciples, I intend for you to be even greater. Than you long to be. The way to gratefulness is going to be through the cross. Here's the problem. We can't face our crosses. We don't have it in us. We can't face our cups and our baptisms. Can't do it. Because we're going to run. And we're going to whine. And we're going to complain. Don't lift your hands. That's why he said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Christianity were only a great and radical teacher calling for sacrificial obedience from radical disciples, it wouldn't be good news. Gospel means good news. It'd be just another ideology. The Buddha did that. Confucius did that. Muhammad did that. It'd just be another philosophy, another moral improvement program. We already know that intuitively, don't we? We kind of know, think about it. I, I should probably not be selfish. I should probably not lord it over people. I should probably be different, but we can't seem to do it. We don't need a Messiah to tell us that. We need salvation from death. And guilt and sin. We need power to drink the cup of suffering in the path of service. We don't need another religious leader to to say, follow my example. What we need is someone who can forgive our sins and ransom us from guilt and death. Free us from that old way of life. From that old whiny self of ours. Determined to have our rights and our say and our being served. And what I Deserve? who can give us a new life with the power to die for each other in the service of love and that's what he says in fact what he's saying basically is this radical call to follow me he says this call to come and drink the cup of suffering and service it's not a call to serve me it's a call to be served by Jesus Do you get that? That's the difference. See, you're not called to serve Jesus. You're going like, no, wait, no, wait, no, no, wait. Understand what I'm saying, okay? You're called to be served by him. He says, in our relationship, I will do the serving day by day, day in and day out, if you will allow me. If you will ask me to be your Lord, if you will bow the knee to me, I will give you the power to serve, to be the servant of everyone around you. I'll do that for you. But only as you allow me to do that will you be able to do it. I don't know. I think I kind of like just serve. I'm going to serve Jesus and earn up some rights. And then we kind of got a deal and he's got to make my kids good. You know, they're going to turn out great. Hopefully not too religious, but just right, you know. No, that's not what he said. He said, it's this radical relationship between you and me. And I came to serve you every day of your life. If you will allow me to do it. By being your savior, by being your Lord, by giving you a new power on the inside. Do you think you can drink this cup without me serving you? Do you think you can endure the suffering of my baptism without me serving you? You think you can become the kind of person that renounces fame and human status to serve all other people without me serving you day in, day out, moment by moment, all the days of your life? No, you can't. Jesus said in John 15, five, I'm the sprouting vine. You are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness, service will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. Remaining in union with him is allowing him to serve you. It's the same thing. Apart from that, you're powerless. Stay connected with me. You and me. We're gonna do this life together. But some of you, you're so mad at God right now for the circumstances of your life. You've lost all connection. You 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 don't see. Any, I had a deal. And that kid has not turned out like I expected. I had a deal, and that job has not. And my marriage. I had a deal. I worked really hard for you, God. I served you so hard. I'm so mad at you right now. What's the? You broke the deal. Maybe God's doing something else. Maybe he sees something so much bigger. Maybe this is boot camp, and you've got it all flipped up. You're trying to, I'm trying to make a life. Well, imagine going to boot camp and saying, well, I'm going to build a house at boot camp, a real nice house. All right, can we have boot camp on the beach? For sure, we want it on the beach. You know, it's, That's ridiculous. Boot camp is not where you want to live, right? boot camp. Three and a half years ago, we brought little Zoe home from the hospital. You know what? I said, when she got home that first night, I said, Zoe, you wash the dishes tonight. She didn't. She didn't serve us at all. In fact, if she had insisted on serving us, she wouldn't be here right now. We had to serve her every moment. and That's why Jesus said, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven oh you think your good's gonna I'm gonna be kind of good I'm gonna try to do good I'm gonna get my good to outweigh my bad on the big scales of Jesus Jesus doesn't have scales he says you have to allow me to serve you you have to turn to me you, you, you can't do it you're not gonna do it have you figured that out see I figured that out at some point I was like I'm a total failure what's going on I can't do any of this Christian stuff And it's like God's going like, exactly. Why don't you stay in union with me, begin to walk with me, begin to stay tied close to me. At this point in our lesson, something really crazy occurs. Almost abruptly, it's like Mark, the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he changes the subject, it looks like. He tells of an incident as they were leaving Jericho, but we're gonna see. No, the Holy Spirit always knows. He skipped over A bunch of stuff that in the others like Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, other things that are in the other other three gospels. And so listen to what he says. He says, then they came to Jericho, verse 46. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Bible's being really nice here shut up you stupid old beggar golly right in my ear dude shut up he doesn't care about you but he shouted all the more son of David have mercy on me Jesus stopped I mean he's been he's out front remember resolute face like Flint headed toward Jerusalem Jericho's a few miles away he ain't got there yet he's passing through Jericho last time he'll ever be there Jesus, have mercy on me. He stopped and he said, call him. I love how the crowd flipped so fast. They said, so they called to the blind man. Hey, cheer up on your feet. He's calling for you. Stupid old man, you know? Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You go like, how does that fit at all? In the Greek, let me just tell you something really interesting. It says, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, if it was, that was just in English for us, in parentheses, the English, so that we could understand bar means son, but they all knew bar meant son. So it, it's a really weird thing to say in the Greek. Bartimaeus, Timaeus, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Son of Timaeus, which means son of Timaeus. He's obviously trying to, what does Timaeus mean? If you look up the name Timaeus, it means honor. He was the son of honor. What was it that James and John were asking for? Honor, right? And it's so interesting. Look at the question. What do you want me to do for you? That's exactly word by word by word by word. Exactly what he said to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? There's just a big difference between James and John and Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. He knows there's nothing, absolutely nothing, he can do for Jesus. He's not coming up and going, Jesus, I just want to serve you because I'm amazing. I, I could be your I, 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 Why don't you let me be your guide? No. Jesus, you got to have mercy on me. I can't do this life anymore you're my last hope i mean i'm I'm done i'm cooked i'm I'm finished and Jesus have mercy on me and Jesus does he serves him because that's what Jesus does. so where are you in the in this picture? Are you James and John going like hey, I've been pretty faithful, and i'm pretty much expect- i got some expectations now, and i you're not really you know falling through on that too good God I'm kind of disappointed in you. Are you going, Jesus, I can't do this? If you're trying to train me up for something, I'm not turning out like you want. I need you, Jesus, have mercy on me. In this cup, in this baptism that you've allowed into my life. It's what life has given me. I had no choice about it. This is where I am. Have mercy on me, Jesus said, it's done. The Holy Spirit was guiding Mark to say, when you come asking for glory, for greatness, when you come asking to be the person that God intended you to be, realize that it is a suffering, a service to the world that you don't have the ability to do unless you allow Jesus to serve you as you serve the world when I was a young Christian I felt that God really just had a few minor things to work on with me you know I mean I, I could see yeah there was, it was a little rough around the edges but you know I, I was pretty sure that when those minor things got fixed I would be pretty well perfect you know Laura on the other hand oh my gosh she was a mess and I could see that clearly you know But in the hands of the Holy Spirit, gradually, over the years, he revealed to me all the the many areas where there was a deeper evil in me than I had ever imagined. And I remember through the years, through painful experiences, through cups and baptisms, that he began to open my eyes until I could see with an increasing clarity How much of my life has been possessed by a spirit of blind selfishness? How I've injured others and hurt those close to me. And yet, every time there came this feeling, this new feeling of inadequacy, I would call it. The depths of my own inadequacy. The the, the understanding of that. There also came a, a revelation of the amazing power of God when I would fall to my knees and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I can't do this. I can't serve these people. I can't can't do this. I don't have this to give. Have mercy on me. And I discovered that my self-trust, as it began to sink lower and lower, my God trust seemed to get higher and higher and I could only live this life that he intended me to live and become who he intends for me to be as I allow him to serve me as my savior, moment by moment by moment. So what do I want from you today? Just this, realize that Jesus serving you as your savior day in and day out is your only hope. Maybe you just need to simply say to Jesus, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I didn't get it right. Maybe he's, you heard him say to you, you have no idea what you're asking for. I wanna follow you with all my heart. I wanna be all that you want me to be. I want you to make me into the man, into the woman that you want me to be. Okay. It's more than this life. That's why you can't figure it out. Boot camp. I'm blind to what true greatness looks like. I can't do this life. I humbly bow my will. I allow you to serve me as my savior. I want to see. I don't want to go through this life blindly. Blind to those I love. Blind to those I need to serve. Blindly standing up for my rights and my way and what I think I deserve. This cup of suffering and trouble I'm drinking right now is a gift that you've allowed into my life. I don't want to waste my sorrows. I need you, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Would you just close your eyes and ask him for that? Some of you need to just say, I want to confess that I've been really mad at you, because I didn't get it. I I thought we had a deal. I mean, I kind of got caught up in this American Christianity, you know. I thought, I lost your favor. You realize, some of you are going through the darkest time of your life right now. You're feeling more favor from God in this moment than you've ever felt. He's bringing you to a place, to the end of yourself, to a trust in Him. Man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. Some of you, the, the life that you're going through right now when we get to heaven, he said many of the first will be last, the last first. It, it, it's not all the big preachers and stuff or people that had it easy. It's gonna be some little woman over there that just has been through all kinds of stuff. And I'll be able to say, I knew her. I knew her when, you know. Jesus save me. Maybe you want to step in for the very first time. Maybe you've been in this journey for a while but you forgot that how do you overcome? Persistent believing that God's heart is good. Persistent believing that God's promise is powerful. Persistent believing in the midst of everything. I don't see one good thing out of this. I know you don't. you choose to believe anyway father thank you for sending your son to be our Savior Jesus have mercy on us spirit empower us we can't do this life and we need you and we want to depend on you moment by moment by moment by moment get so caught up in this material world we start thinking boot camp is life and boot camp is where we're gonna plan for even retirement and all of the stuff that we have in mind is just like, it's just it was never your plan forgive us, fill us, empower us serve us as we serve all the rest of the world under you in Jesus name Amen